Yo, what's up, everybody? Um, today on the podcast, we have Mr. J.P. Sears. Um, J.P. is kind of a controversial dude, um, which is weird when you talk to him because he's actually one of the most just chill, funny, uh, smart dudes that I've ever conversed with. Really sweet, really grounded. Um, the thing I really respect about him is that he is kind of stuck up like a middle finger to um, cancel culture and not even in a aggressive way. He's done it just by making his art. Um, and he just does it really fearlessly. Um, and like I allude to in the episode, I don't agree with everything that JP says or thinks, um, but I still respect him. Um, and again, as I'm sure you've noticed, if you follow me, whether it's on here or on social media, you know, a huge thing for me is reaching out and talking to people that we don't agree with. Um, and JP and I actually agreed on quite a bit, um, just as far as freedom being super important, but I'm gonna shut up and let y'all listen without further ado, JP Sears. JP Sears, welcome to the Satsung Podcast, man. How are you? True, man. I think I'm good. Yeah, man. A lot of blessings to count. I think a lot of, uh, challenges to overcome but all in all i'm good yeah how are you doing brother uh i feel the same way um there's obviously right like the lingering weirdness of the world as a whole but i'm happy i'm healthy everyone in my house is healthy and all things considered i'm good um yeah dude so first off i'm really excited to talk with you because i really respect you and your work um I think it's important, especially like right now in the times that we're in to challenge narratives. Um, and even the stuff that you um, share that I don't agree with, I still have an immense respect for the courage that you have to share your point of view, especially in this climate of like cancel culture and just everyone having to really tiptoe around what, you know, what's comfortable to share and not because they don't want to get, um, canceled um and uh before we like start dissecting too hard um i want to kind of talk about how you got started doing this and creating content like how did this how did this even start for you yeah man uh there's been you know there with the journey i think there's been a birth and then rebirths along the way but you know the initial birth i put out my first comedy video October 5th, 2014. So been at kind of what I'm doing for about six years. And, you know, before that I was doing life coaching and health coaching with people, which I freaking loved. It was super meaningful yet. Like I, I was, can, I was constipating my inner comedian, which was always a part of my life ever since I can remember. It's just part of who I am not all of me, but it's a big part. And, you know, I was just like telling myself, well, I'm, you know, life coach, uh, you know, uh, it discredit me if like I was funny, like you gotta be serious, not funny. Which is right. just a worst message for an idiot to tell himself. But I was telling myself that worst off, I was believing it. But, you know, the, the ideas kept knocking at the door. I mean, you're such a creator. You know what it's like when you have an inspirational idea coming through. It's like, all right, like a baby's trying to be born here. It's coming. 
whether yeah. you let it or not. You can try to constrict it, but that's just going to destroy you in order to get the thing to the outside, whatever that looks like. So the ideas kept coming and finally I said, all right, damn it. I'll make one comedy video. It's good, not, it's going to be bad for business, but I'm going to do it anyway. But I did it and uh, it woke something up inside of me. You know, it was the first time I ever had like a real outlet for creativity and speaking what were for me meaningful messages through the language of comedy. You know, there's just something magical about sharing perspectives in a non-literal way. I think that's something that soulful music has in common with soulful comedy, which has in common with just all the art forms it just i think it speaks to the human psyche in a deeper way um so i've just been forced gumping my way along there's never been a plan <laughs> there's been a lot of accidental growth that is such a blessing and i've uh, you know I've also own i've worked my ass off along the way to enjoy a lot of fruits of um, the labor and but you know one of the rebirths i'll mention last about last april of 2020 there was a rebirth where there's no plan for the the shape of my work to really change yet it started changing and and i started to just something wasn't feeling right inside of me with the lockdowns and you know new data coming out of usc it's like awesome like like Scientifically speaking, this horrible virus, it's not as bad as we thought. Like, this is good news. But the, the lockdown measures from the authorities, like, they, they weren't, they were just getting more severe. And, you know, like, I don't get my news from the news. I get my news from my eyeballs. And a good place to eyeball, get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, it was like we have our eyes to gain our perspective from yeah weird totally weird and that's probably false news like what's that? <laughs> so yeah i i just from my perspective it seemed like there was a an ill-willed um scenario going on that was robbing people from their freedom and certainly what's not debatable debatable is it was instilling a lot of fear in people and even if there's something terrible going on, I don't think we make better decisions when we're in a terrified state of mind. That's just like the, you know, the hysterical person at the scene of the accident typically causes more harm than good. But the paramedics who show up who are calm, they're not fear-based, but they're more effective because they're not fear-based. They can use their skills. So I, I was like, I don't think this fear serves anybody. So I started to notice the scope of my work it took on a, a deeper purpose than it ever had, which was, you know, in a nutshell, the purpose is freeing, freeing people from fear that doesn't serve them, period. And I think when that happens, people can then get more in touch with their truth. Like, not my truth, like mine's delusional and my truth is just for me, but get people more in touch with their truth because I think that's where their power is. And, and man, yeah, so the there was that rebirth of, I would dare say, a, a more expanded purpose that my work took on, like, you know, in the name of freedom and freeing people from fear. 
Well, what's a really interesting thing uh, that, you know, I think Trump being elected because he was, he was such a polarizing figure was, was kind of the, the start of it. But I, I, I think when COVID hit, what kind of started happening is like virtue signaling hit an all time high. And then it kind of hit this weird stride where it was like, where we used to go, oh, well, I don't think what you think, let's compare notes. It was like, well, you're a fucking science denier and fuck you and you don't care about health. And we, we became so quick. Or if, you know, um, I live in Montana, you live in Texas. So I think it's safe to say we know a lot of conservatives. I know a lot of conservatives that are some of the most sensible, family oriented, nicest people I know, but you have these people that are only surrounded by one side. So it becomes very easy in their echo chamber to say, well, if you support this, then you support this entire scope of this ideology that I've summed up for myself without asking any questions. So if you think this, it means you're a racist. It means you hate science. It means you hate the environment. And that to me has been a really frightening thing to observe. Um, What's some of the blowback that you've gotten? Because I've seen a lot of comments on your videos of like, right? The age will shut up and dribble. Hey man, go, go back to making videos about essential yeah. oils and, and who do you think you are? You know, what's that, what was that shift like for you? Yeah, well, I speak to that in a second, but first I love what you shared about like these massive assumptions that are made by a lot of people, not all people, but when you're not, essentially towing the line of the mainstream narrative, which waking up in the world that we're in right now, the mainstream narrative is the narrative of the left. It's just yep. objectively, yeah, we know 100%. mainstream media and the mainstream social media platforms are controlled by the left. It's, it's how it is right now. So when you don't tow that narrative, you're racist, homophobic, transphobic, just insert something phobic, but these massive assumptions are made and are, are there like horribly minded conservatives, I'm sure there are. Are there horribly minded uh, uh, people on the left? I'm sure there are. And most people are pretty fucking awesome, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's been when, my experience. Yeah. When we make those assumptions, like, I think when we're in our right minds, we can take on the wisdom of Don Miguel Ruiz, one of his just kind of like eternal wisdom. Of, four agreements one of them is don't make assumptions yep it's never more accurate to make assumptions and it takes a lot of humbleness to not make assumptions but i think not making assumptions gets us closer to truth than we otherwise would yet we're we're living in a world where there's never been re more reward for making massive assumptions and I think it's just kind of like if someone's doing drugs, like it seems like a short-term reward, but long-term, like, no, this is yeah. destructive. So just my little two cents there, and, and you asked about some of the blowback. Um, you know, there, first I'll say, like, there, the blowback pales in comparison to the support. That's what I've noticed, and, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, you know, people are coming out of the woodwork to support me, but it's they're not they're really supporting the mission that they see me standing for which is way more important than supporting a red-headed guy and you know i'm seeing like unprecedented growth on youtube and 
it just it, it's amazing and very humbling and then yeah of course there's an ex actually statistically it's an extremely small percentage of you know rage mob people negative comments and and uh man it does it just doesn't affect me like it, it's there. people put it out yet I'm grateful. I just feel so sociopathic. If I happen to see like a negative comment with, you know, just bullying tactics involved, like I, you, you don't think we should be in lockdown? Well, you're a racist, and like, how dare you? And you, you literally <laughs> want old people to die? Like, why, why are you a murderer? Is like, it doesn't affect me. I think it's because like I'm, I feel secure in my intentions, and I feel secure in my level of self-awareness still have a long way to go but i see those things and it's like well i'm like i so support someone's right to say what they want to say even if it's a lie and much like you said you you appreciate my work even when i'm having perspectives that you don't agree with fucking amen dude like i have never met someone who i completely agree with like, never I don't even completely agree with myself. I change my mind all the time. I, I think us changing our minds, that's called growth, evolution, learning. <laughs> so it's like, dude, I, I can't even agree with myself, let alone another person. Yet if we reject people on the basis that we don't agree, we are a cancer consciousness. Yet if we can accept people, even when we disagree, we are an accepting unity consciousness and that's a beautiful thing like we used to reject people because we look different it's called segregation we all know how ugly that is you know in whatever the 50s black people have to sit at this little shitty corner of the restaurant sit in the back of the bus we all know that that is horrible yet that same pattern of energy is being celebrated by some today and it's not we reject people based on their looks it's we reject people based on their ideas and uh i think we can do better uh, i do i i know yeah, i man. To grow but i think we can do way fucking better well what's really crazy to me is um you know i always have leaned far more left than right um because the conservatives that i grew up around were kind of it was this mentality of like i built my own shit man you build yours which yeah. which it's like well n not everyone starts off with the same uh the same game you know so it's like you know can somebody in an underfunded school in a single parent abusive household uh you know rise above and you know and make their own way absolutely but statistically um, it's substantially harder. So that used to kind of be where, where a lot of conservative thought lost me. But what I'm starting to notice is, you know, I feel like the left and, and liberal ideology used to be the voice of unity and the voice of, yes, people that think differently, live differently, look differently, pray differently, that, you know, what makes America so beautiful is that if we all accept each other, then we have this kind of harmonious thing. And then something switched to, if you even fucking dare question what we think, believe, 
will fucking destroy you um, and will eat you. And it, it, it freaks me out. Um, I, you know, I don't want to call myself an intellectual, but I'm a, I'm a very knowledge thirsty person. So when I meet somebody that has a different perspective than me, my first instinct is to ask questions and compare notes and be like, okay, well, maybe you can tell me something I didn't. Perfect example. I know you're friends with Tim Kennedy. Um, when I had him on the podcast, I had brought up to him, you know, I was very against the war in Iraq for a lot of reasons. Um, and I thought that the war on terror was this big waste of money, uh, uh, you know, chasing the tiger's tail. And um, hearing it from the perspective of a Green Beret who obviously has quite a better scope on the war on terror than I would, made me understand it in such a different way and, and, and even though I don't 100% agree with Tim, there's no fucking way to combat half of what he was saying because it's like, yeah, dude, well, you were the one in the mountains of Pakistan looking down a rifle scope, not me. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's so important. Um, and I think what your videos are doing is that you had this fan base over here and then you've hit this switch. And I think it's hopefully in the middle of this Venn diagram, there's people like me that have been like, oh, well, shit, this is a different take. Let's watch this video and gone like, oh, well, okay, let me, the, let, me, let, me, let me look up the statistics that he's talking about. You know, and, and for me, I know a lot of your early videos um, this spring and summer, I was like 99.98, where the fuck is he getting that number? Oh, from the, from the CDC. Oh, <laughs> buried on their website, but it's there. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, this is something that I asked him that I'll ask you too. What, where do you think this is all going? Do you think we're going to continue to to keep polarizing, or do, or do you think that there could be some unifying factor to get people to to talk to each other again? Yeah. I'll um, give you a delusional opinion. We, we might get all over the place, but here, here's my opinion. If people keep, uh, the more people get their news from the news, the more I think it'll get polarized. And I think someone getting their news from the news is like getting financial advice from a broke person. And there's no question the, the major news outlets as I see them are, very polarizing, very intentionally. They're controlled by people behind the scenes with uh, an agenda, uh, apparently. So if, if people give, continue to give their power away to the news, just have more and more division. And you know, if you look at, like today, things are uglier than they were two years ago. Two years from now, I think we'll continue down the same ugly track. Now, I'm optimistic though. Dude, I don't think there's ever been more people waking up. And there, like I saw a statistic the other day about what percentage of people trust the news. It was shockingly low. Even I was like, dude, I don't trust them at all. And I'm like, wow, I'm surprised that few people <laughs> trust the news. And I forget the percentage, so I'm not even, but it was so low. And, but here's the thing. The news doesn't broadcast, you know, in the social media platforms, they don't volunteer how many people distrust the news. So if you keep getting your world perspective from the news, it's like, 
everybody's falling in line with this. Yet the reality is I see, and I traveled so much um, uh, last year, last fall, doing comedy shows in different places from Portland to Florida. So I feet on the ground, I got to see and talk with so many people. And to me, it's just apparent there has never been more people waking up to reclaim their power. And when they do that, they can live in free ways independent of any forces that are trying to control them. Because I think the only way the, call it the few, can control the many is through fear. And it's kind of like the formula is, here's what you need to be afraid of. And by the way, we'll protect you from what we're telling you to be afraid of. And in order to protect you, there's these rights. We're going to have to progressively have you hand over to us so we can protect you from what we're telling you you're afraid of. But there's so many people waking up out of that disempowering paradigm. So, dude, I am so optimistic. Like, am I optimistic that all of a sudden there's going to be like some like in Congress, the Senate, and the president, there's going to be some altruistic Dalai Lama? I'm, I'm not going to hold my breath on that. Yet, uh, I don't think there's true leaders in those areas of our government right now. So guess what? I think the leaders show up other places. I think the leaders show up first and foremost. People are like, well, they left. Why don't I have my heart lead me? Why don't I have like my mentors lead me rather than like, oh, what's Nancy Pelosi? Tell me oh, like, she, yeah. or whoever. So dude, I am so optimistic. I think we're in the, the age of a, a great awakening. I really do. And I think the metaphor of the phoenix rising, we have to burn away the scar tissue of our psyche that we're not in order for the miracle of who we are now to arise. And in the phoenix rising metaphor, there's the burning away. So like, it's tough, it's painful. And I think we're feeling a lot of the burning away. Like right now, we can't hide. We can't blind ourselves to the corruption that's been there. But I think here's the cool thing. I don't think there's new corruption. I think we're just like, we're not able to ignore the corruption that's been deep inside the system for decades or centuries. It's just like, we're so awake to it now, which is in my opinion, way better off than being asleep to it. It's like, man, if you've got cancer in your body, you probably want to know it so you can do something about it. Yeah, you know, one of my favorite quotes uh, of all time, Benjamin Franklin said, those who would choose uh, safety over freedom deserve neither. Yes. Um, it really resonates with, with me because I, I think like, you know, the thing that has always made America, America is this huge exercising of free will in the realm of, you know, it, it might not be the safest approach, but it will always allow you the freedom to move, the freedom to build, the freedom to exercise ideas, the freedom to commune with people differently than you. Um, and it's really interesting as, as a huge history buff, um, the federal government does not have a track record of being trustworthy. Quite the opposite, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's quite the opposite. Um, yeah. And so this idea that all of the sudden it should be trustworthy, um, and, and like you said, the narrative, it's, it's so cut and dry. It's here's what you need to be afraid of. 
but it's okay because here's the plan of how we're going to protect you. And here's all of the small things that you have to sacrifice. And, you know, being so involved with mixed martial arts, um, a huge thing that I saw during the first part of the pandemic is, you know, having a large enough space um, to run a mixed martial arts gym, they're expensive buildings. You know, you're not having cheap rent on a giant warehouse that houses a gym, a cage, a boxing ring, a, and mat space for jujitsu and all of that. And I watched people that had worked literally physically fought to obtain the currency necessary to start their own gym. Um, and they lost their gym in two months. You know, that was all it took. And then what we started seeing was friends of mine that owned gyms in California is like, uh, you know, the sheriffs and law enforcement started going, look, dude, it's not our job to implement mandates of, uh, of the federal government. So if everyone that's coming to your classes is comfortable coming to your classes, take the precautions necessary, take temperatures, you know, contact traces you can. And I just don't, I'm not saying that COVID is a hoax. I've had, I, you know, my guitar player got it and he's three months out from it and his lungs still haven't fully recovered. Yeah. Um, but again, it's like, so are we supposed to ask all of these gym owners to just go, okay, well, I guess I'll just be homeless in the name of safety. It's like, no, <laughs> absolutely not. And, and, and I personally know so many people that messaged the owner of my gym saying, dude, if I can't train, it's, it's all I have. I don't have a wife. I don't have kids. I don't like my job. If I can't come train, I'm probably going to kill myself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, man, I, I, I hear you in it, it. I think it, that same mentality kind of, zoomed out to the 40,000 foot view when people don't have freedom uh, human nature has it eventually they'll become willing to die in the name of freedom you know it it, it comes to like man if, if i'm not free is is life worth living that's why people are motivated to like put their lives on the line in the name of freedom and i i think man this this um uh, yeah, I'll just sound judgmental. This shitty mentality of life is all about safety. For me, that's such a, it, it's a disempowered model and it's so rooted in fear. The idea of, hey, life is about safety. So let's protect ourselves at all costs. Before too long, we realized our walls of protection are our fucking prison. And our yeah, mutual friend, Tim Kennedy, has just, amazing quote it's a question do you want to choose peaceful slavery or dangerous freedom that one is rooted in fear the other is rooted in bravery and something that we all know is true but we never remember is as soon as you're born you're at risk of dying life the only way to prevent death and be ultimately safe is never be born Yet, I think we're all born for a reason, and, and I think we're all here for a higher purpose other than just self-preservation. Let's be rooted in our uh, root chakra, and like the purpose of my life is to preserve my life. It's like, no, like none of us want to live like an idiot. We're all going to like weigh risk versus reward, but guess what? Like there's some risks that are 
worth taking. And I think it's our, I don't think like I just know in my heart, it's our, our damn human right to choose what is our risk, what is our reward. And, you know, that's like, you know, uh, I, I think alcohol can be incredibly destructive and I'm so glad people have the right to drink if they want, have one, have 10. I love that people have that right. For people to have the right to do dumb things. If I look at anything Tim Kennedy does, for me to do what he does is a dumb thing. But for him to do it, it it's, it's not a dumb thing because he's got infinite more training than I have. So for us to like try to put Tim Kennedy in a cage, hey bro, you're, you're not being safe here. You could sprain your ankle out on that mountain or you're jumping out of a plane. No, you, we're going to chain you to your couch. It's like we realize like, you know, the imposing our limitations on someone else is, uh, well, it's dictatorship. It's, yeah, absolutely. So, it's tyranny. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I think we have a choice, you know, just, to me, this is Tim's thought in different words of you want to choose peaceful slavery or dangerous freedom. We can live our life out of self-preservation or we can live our life out of self-realization and we can be anywhere in between in any given moment, but it's our God-given right. And I think a lot of us realize the degree of meaning I have in my life, it has to do with me doing things that feel inherently scary to me, whether it's public speaking, being on stage, like, you know, it's not going to kill us, but we have a, like a physiological response where we're very scared. It's scarier than death at times. So our ability to um, uh, put ourselves in scary situations typically is where we get the most meaning and most connection to our purpose. So I, I think it is incredibly disempowering to advocate people just live their lives out of safety only. Yeah, well, to bring that um, full circle with the Great Awakening that you were talking about, I've seen so many people, um, you know, for all the identity politics and bullshit that we've seen in the past few years, I've seen more people defect from ideology, defect from group identity, and dive into discomfort on purpose. And, and whether that looks like okay, dude, I'm going to start doing CrossFit. Okay, I'm going to start jujitsu. Okay, I'm going to start fucking cold plunging. Like, that yeah. is one of the, like, who the fuck wants to get in ice water? Nobody. But the reason it's catching on is because there's something that happens when you get out of the water. There's something that is buzzing in your body that was just like, fuck, man, I just did that, you know? And, and I think we're seeing a lot of people, you know, that's always been my thing. I've always been really attracted to people like Tim and Jocko um, because I've always had that mindset of like, no, 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 dude. It's when everything is scary, intense, overwhelming, and you go, nope, fuck that. I'm doing it anyway. Yeah. And you get through it. What happens after is like you were saying, you take some of that power back and you start going, well, fuck man, what else could I do? You know? And, and to me, that's, that's life. Like that's, that's what we're here for is to find these limits of our own consciousness. For me, uh, a huge part of that is the limits of my body and and constantly walking that line of what's too much, what's, you know, what's too little and always having one foot in discomfort on purpose, yeah. you know? Uh, 
Man, I, I so agree. I, in fact, I was just cold plunging this morning. It, like, it has cool physiological benefits, but the reason why I do it is exactly what you said. I love to train myself to do something uncomfortable because the more I can do that in life, the better life gets. I think when we push the boundaries of our comfort zone, we, be, we realize we're more powerful than we thought we were. So if we push the boundary of our comfort zone three inches every day, like when I like go 10 miles, like I'm not going parachuting with no training. We're like sensible, but challenging when we continually push the boundaries of our comfort zone because we're willing to feel fear yet do the thing anyway. Like, man, we, we realized, wow, the boundaries of my comfort zone were just my own mental hallucinations based on my lack of uh, my lack of awareness about my own power so we push the boundaries of our comfort zone and we realize i'm more powerful than i thought i was thus we are expressing more and more of our potential we're living an empowered life and man i i don't know how to feel fulfilled other than through that equation you mentioned and like i, I i'd imagine for you first time you're on stage, you know, guitar in hand, you've got a crowd full of people in, in front of you, you probably could have chosen the easy route of like, no, I'm not doing this. Or you could choose the, the uncomfortable route where you have the psychological lactate acid going, it's uncomfortable, the fears, but you feel, okay, there's purpose in this discomfort, feel the fears, but let me do it anyway. Yeah. And, and what's cool is you start to see people morph the more they do it. You know, I think of my best friend and bass player, Carl, um, used to be real out of shape, ate like shit, drank, you know, two liters of soda a day. And what he started doing is gradually chipping away at himself. And now he's in phenomenal shape. He's actually caught COVID twice, um, but he's in phenomenal shape. Uh, he, he's learning all of the time. He's really self-aware. But another really cool thing, like you're saying, was I remember when we used to get to play, even if there was 20 people there, he would be shaking. He was so nervous, yeah. you know, and now it can be a sold out theater. And he's just like, motherfucker, let's go. You know, he's just like, <laughs> you know, and it's, and, it, and again, like you said, it took that time. It's that, that inch by inch thing of, well, the more I do the uncomfortable thing, the more comfortable it becomes. You know, and, and for me, jujitsu has been in a, a, a huge thing that way. As I remember my first class of just like even doing the warm up, and I'm wearing this gi, I'm like, what the fuck am I doing here? I, you know, I was just getting my ass kicked. And, you know, four years later, I'm a purple belt and now I'm teaching. And it's just, it's, the, it's this thing that just, you have to keep doing it, you know? Yeah. And, and the idea, you know, one thing that just happened that I wanted to share with you when I was in Chicago. I went back to Chicago. My, my brother and sister bought a farm in Kentucky and left the west side of Chicago, where they both lived forever, to go start this farm. Like, just, we're getting out of the fucking city. Enough's enough. And I went there and was like, all right, well, if my, my brother and sister are leaving, I probably am not going to get to see a lot of my old friends. You know, I lived in Chicago for many years. So I start reaching out to friends of just like, yo, man, with touring being up in the air and all this shit, like, I don't know when I'm going to be back, but I have a free day. 
And I shit you not, all six people that I reached out to said, we're not actually leaving our pods or accepting guests from outside of our pods. Yeah. They all use that terminology. Pods. So, yeah, pods. so like all I could deduce was like, okay, y'all watch the fucking news channel. And they were like, <laughs> <laughs> don't leave your pods. You know? And I was like, dude, I live in fucking rural Montana. Like there's at any given time, there's like 20 active cases in the County that I live in. That's yeah. like the most spread out, you know, it was, it was just really interesting to see. Um, like you said, I mean, that's it. You're either choosing fear or you're choosing love, excitement, challenge, growth, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think that's the formula for a great life and take that formula in reverse. It's the formula for a depressed life where you, you just can't find fulfillment and, Man, and I'm curious for you because, you know, I'd imagine a lot of your fans are just the nature of your music. It's so soulful. There's, you know, such a spiritual connection I get from your music. Um, I'd imagine there's, there's like, um, there could be backlash for you because like, mm-hmm. yes, like super spiritual, but at the same time, you've also got the grounded warrior who says like, okay, like the narrative that maybe a lot of the spiritual community accepts like, Hey, let's not live our lives in fear, except during this lockdown. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't, <laughs> don't know why this is the exception live in fear. But then like, you've got the warrior part of you who does jujitsu and you're like, well, um, I don't feel the need to be overly scared uh, of this virus. And Yeah, so I'm just curious, like, there seems to be clashing group thinks. Yeah. And I could imagine that could happen with your fan base. I'm curious if that's true. And if it is, how, how you deal with it? Yeah, man. Well, I think this year and all of this time off uh, has given me a lot of time to, to step into who I actually am. And I've kind of completely let go of any sort of narrative of what people might think that I am and I'm just really stepping into like well this is who I am man and and if that's too much then bye you know and and I just I have a really intense story and I hope people can can make the connection between uh the story and and how I became who I am now but I don't live in, you know, in, a, in this, the, much like you when you were talking about, right, like the creative process hits and it's like, okay, here it comes. For me, when I'm writing music, that is this small piece of my mind and this huge piece of my heart. It's a very special place. But the rest of the time, I'm a dad. I'm a martial artist. Uh, you know, I help out on a ranch. I hunt, I fish, I do all of these things. So it's like, here's who I am as a whole. And this year I really made the decision to, to step into that and share that. Because I think like you're saying, there's these conflicting ideas of you have to live naturally and, um, and one with the earth. But if you hunt, that's bad. And if you fish, that's bad. And, um, you know, like yoga's okay, but fighting's bad. It's like, well, man, if we're getting the same thing from it, then it's not. It's what do you what do you get from yoga? You find an immense sense of calm, connection to your body, um, and this idea that you're part of this ether 
that's bigger than you. That's what I get from fighting, you know? So just trying to help people being 100% authentic, but helping people connect the dots of like, okay, well, fighting is to me what yoga is to you. Hunting is to me what, you know, sitting by a pond and meditating is to you. It's, it's this intense interaction with the land. And I have gotten blowback and it's been, I didn't handle the haters uh, as gracefully as you did. It was actually, uh, it was actually affecting me pretty negatively for a couple of weeks, you know, to a point where like people would comment on a post about something, you know, whatever, and just be like, Hey man, fuck you. And I would be like, Hey man, but, but why? Rather than like, Oh, okay, cool, man. Fuck me. I'd be like, what's your fucking problem? Why fuck me? You know? And I'd like want to like dig in and then you're like, Oh, well, I'm just communicating with a very unhealthy person and wasting a shitload of time and, you know, headspace. Oh, there we Whoop. go. Yeah, yeah, we cut out. You, you, there was too much consciousness going on. <laughs> internet connection. Zuckerberg pulled the plug. Yeah, <laughs> oh, probably did. Then, um, yeah, it's interesting when you know. I think part of everyone's psyche, at some level, like does it express itself or is the potential just there? I'm not sure, but you know, I think part of everyone's psyche is like when when someone's not meeting their expectations of you know, who you want them to be the, the there's part of our psyche that just wants to reject that person it can be rejection through bullying like fuck you you hunt or fuck you you like like think for yourself what's wrong with you um but man that to me that's such a blessing when we're met with that very uncomfortable force of nature, which is other people's disapproval, their overt and sometimes covert rejection, because that's a, that's a uncomfortable yet fucking powerful way for us to become more true to ourselves. Cause in that moment, we have a fork in the road. Will I conform to who I think what other people want me to be, or will I double down and let myself be more true to me that's going to be more uncomfortable short term long term like way more fulfilling and and to me that that's part of like when i see some of the rejections going on or hateful comments like on my good days i'll look at that like in a from a spiritual growth perspective like thank god they're giving me the opportunity to choose to either betray myself or be true to myself and hopefully i choose be true to myself because that's that's such a strengthening experience it's to me it's kind of like the the to sharpen the sword you need the whetstone to grind it against and by the way like we also don't you know, we see the, the four people that are trying to reject us for not being who they want us to be but we don't see the four thousand people cheering us on to be more of who we are yeah is how it works but there's always way more support that life is giving us to become a truer version of who we are which usually doesn't conform to like oh you're a spiritual guy so this is all that you do and you don't do these ah, you probably do some of that and you fucking get yeah, you have shit out coming out of your asshole too on the toilet like yep <laughs> 
Well, one thing that's cool, man, and I kind of want to segue into fitness because I know it's a big part of your life. It's a huge part of my life is part of that awakening that I think we're seeing is, is the reason why I think people like you are so important is because um, I can see through the comedy and I can see all of the all of the things that are important to you. Right. Your family, your health, free thinking, freedom. It, it, it's very apparent the things that are important to you to me. But, you know, maybe I'm you know, over, over observing. Um, but yeah, but you're, you're reading my work wrong. My work is all about money is what matters. Most. Yeah. Yeah. I figured you're reading into this wrong brother. <laughs> Dude, I actually watched your, uh, your was watching your fitness influencer video with my wife last night. And I love like in between, there's just clips of you going me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, just like and and one of the comments was like we have reached meta overload it's a fitness influencer making fun of fitness influencers <laughs> while also plugging a fitness influencer product you know it's like yep. perfect um but part of that awakening too is i think um growing up our views of masculinity were like a calvin klein model or you know what i mean there was just these weird things of like or like a jockey football player that's a dickhead to people yeah um where now we're kind of seeing people do it all right where it's like yeah no i lift weights but i also meditate i also work with plant medicine i also go to therapy i also drop in with my wife and my kids very intentionally where it's like you can be a big tough brute um but not be emotionally distanced from your kids and and I think we're at a time where different versions of that are popping up, right? You have like uh, an Aubrey Marcus, a you, a Tim Kennedy, a, a Rogan, where it's all these people where it's like, damn, dude, these guys are all dabbling in all of this shit. And I think that rounds out wellness. I think we used to look at wellness of like, well, how does your body work? And And I think we're kind of starting to see this awakening that, wellness means spiritually mentally and physically you know and um talk, talk a bit about um that in your life yeah man have you ever read the book one of my favorite books of all time it's called king warrior Mag king warrior lover magician no but i've been recommended this book and i'm gonna just write it down now so i can actually get it and read it dude i don't frivolously recommend books because i don't read that much anymore this one is so good. And uh, the author, two authors, one of their last names is Johnson. And I'm not remembering the other person, but King Warrior, Magician, Lover. It's about the, these are the four principal archetypes that make up masculinity. And when, when you don't have access to one or more of these four archetypes, you're immature masculine like you're you're not developed you're not a real whole man now you might have the the warrior developed so you can like fucking lift weights and yell loud fight if you need to but you might not have the lover developed so like you can't connect with your lady your family you can't be vulnerable so uh, i think a real man it's not being one thing all the time it's being able to be what serves you in that moment the best and king warrior lover magician those are like the four archetypes like 
king, you got to know what you fucking stand for. And you serving the higher purpose is you being a king in your life. And the king wears a crown to remind his ego, I serve a purpose greater than me. And the, the true balanced king is always the greatest servant in the kingdom. The king is there to serve the people. The immature king, the tyrannical king, it's kind of like you get like a Gavin Newsom where it's like, people are here to serve me, motherfucker. Yep. It's like, man, you're, you're not a whole man right now. I'm sorry, but you're not. That's why you're acting like a child tyrant king. So, you know, I, I read that book and it really opened my eyes to how out of balance I was. Like what I had developed is what felt safest to me. Like I was, you know, spent a lot of my 20s and into my early 30s, like developing like the lover, man. Like let me, vulnerability is awesome. You get great points for that. But like, dude, like let, let's not yell. It's like the warrior. Like I, I had shame about that. Like I thought it was wrong and like unevolved. But man, the past couple years, especially the past year for me personally, it's been all about developing the warrior. And that's why like I've done training with Tim Kennedy and it's like, dude, like there's something unearthed. There's resources within me that come out when I give the warrior activation. And I remember like right at the beginning of the pandemic when it was, you know, like, like I didn't know what was, I thought, okay, there's like a virus going to kill millions of people. And of course I had, I don't know, countless comedy shows canceled. And at the time that was like a very big part of my income. And yep. what the fuck am I going to do? One of my first thoughts is I need to go do a backflip off the bridge in Austin. <laughs> like <laughs> just, I knew I need to be more in touch with my warrior. And there's a, it's like a 26 foot high bridge here in Austin that uh, a lot of people like to jump off of. And I, I jumped off it a bunch of times, but I had always been afraid to like do a backflip off of it. And I just knew like, I need to go do a fucking backflip, which was really my way of saying, I need to do something that's scarier than the level that I've allowed myself to go to before. Cause I needed to give my warrior a reason to come out. And, but man, you know, I think as real men or people who are looking to be as real a man of a po as possible, we need all these archetypes to come out and, and to be online for us to access what will serve us best in the moment. And, and I think we, we probably don't want to listen to what the media or what's cultural Marxism in disguise tells us about what it is to be a, a man. Cause I think it's, uh, they're describing a very disempowered man, a people pleaser, man, uh, a man who's, you know, just turned down. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I, I think we need to, we don't need to do anything. We have the option to really reclaim our masculinity and be proud of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think for me, I, I've had these very boom, 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 huge flows, you know, cause yeah, I went through a big phase early in our music where the, the vulnerability thing was saving my life. You know, I had never yeah. just like soaked into my story and just been like, Oh my God, here it all is. 
and that was serving me for a while and then something was missing and when i started training uh going to the mixed martial arts gym regularly like you're saying man this thing not just at the gym started happening i started seeing the world differently i started seeing other people differently and and um as i got better and better at martial arts what was the weirdest thing that I noticed was I started having this immense empathy for people mm. where like I had a, I had a guy at a restaurant at noon, uh, very clearly try to start a fight with me. And I pre-training, I would have been like, yeah, what's up dog. Let's do this shit. And what I saw was like, Oh, you poor guy. Like, this is your wife. This is, you know, maybe you're going through a divorce or your kid doesn't talk to you. I saw right through the shit and was just like, Oh man, you poor guy. Um, and, and you can see it. And, and for me, what's been huge is meeting other people that are on that tip because it's, um, I think it's a huge part of our, uh, of our choosing of the archetypes is, is who we hang around. And if you're around a bunch of unempowered people, you're not going to have this thing that goes, no, I want to be better. I want to be stronger. I want to, I want to dive deeper into these things and understand more about myself. And, um, self-exploration is becoming cool again and that really really excites me you know it, it, it is and, it, and and i think true self-exploration will never be completely politically correct doesn't no. mean you're mean it just means political correctness is um what's uh, i would call it, it it's the pussification of america and yeah part of that men in america and man yeah it, <laughs> You know what's so interesting about what you just said? To go back to something I said earlier about, you remember Bill Maher, who's always been yeah. a, a very open liberal. He used to have a show called Politically Incorrect. Yeah. And the, and the basis of the show was, let's cut the shit. Like, say what the fuck you want to say, and let's, let's actually talk about this shit. Yeah. You know, and that was something that I always really appreciated about him. Again, a, a guy that I don't always agree with, but he's always done a really good job at being like, no, it, say whatever the fuck you want. This is my yeah. show. Go. You know? <laughs> you know? And, and it takes courage to do that. And, you know, it, it takes, you know, the warrior archetype. And I think that's been one of the most vilified pieces of a man in, in recent years. We really vilify it. Sometimes the term masculinity is used to describe healthy masculinity. Or, uh, the term toxic masculinity is... And sometimes toxic masculinity is used appropriately, like fucking Harvey Weinstein, like fucking scum of the earth. That's yep. toxic masculinity. But when you see strong masculinity, that sometimes is described as toxic masculinity. And you you mentioned the the friends and like God bless them for exercising their freedom of choice, who are like, hey, Drew, we're not going to get together with you. We're just in our pods and probably in our pods because the news told us to be here and we're, we're like afraid to do something that's not compliant with the news, you know, that a fully developed warrior isn't afraid to think for themselves. They're not afraid to say, no, here's how it seems to me different than the news. I will exercise my freedoms because that's my choice. That's what I want to do. But when you have the, classification of the warrior archetype you have not freedom in warriorness you have obedience mm. and self-imposed slavery mm -hmm. and 
and yeah, man, I, I think the world needs more warriors, not, you know, violent, you know, disgruntled warriors, but true, beautiful, masculine warriors who are also capable of loving well, who are also a king, who are capable of standing for something greater than themselves. And the magician where they can take pain and transform it into growth and contribute to a better world for people around them. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's an interesting thing of um, what concerns me so much about politics, and, and, and Tim and I talked about this, and it's a regular topic of conversation between me and my, my close friends, is typically the people that are well-adjusted and aware of those archetypes and trying to find the balance between them have absolutely fucking zero interest in politics, you know? <laughs> like, so my, my, whole, my whole correspondence with, with Tim Kennedy started because um, people were asking, I was being inundated with, well, what candidate are you supporting? Who are you gonna yeah. support? So I put on my Instagram story, I'm gonna write in Tim Kennedy and Jocko. Right. And, and, and he messaged me and said, dude, the last thing you fucking want is me at the fucking helm of this boondoggle, you know? And yeah. that was what started our correspondence. But it, it, it's, it's crazy because I, um, not wanting to choose, I was getting a lot of backlash for not publicly endorsing Biden because Trump had done this and he said this against these people and this people. And the fact of saying, well, yeah, actually fuck both of these guys. Um, I don't see good qualities of leadership in either of them. I see hypocrisy in both of them. Like when you were talking about the uh, uh, the wounded tyrannical king, I, I just couldn't help but think of Trump. I just I think of him so often as this just wounded little boy that is constantly acting out of like, no, you don't understand. I don't get fucking second place. Dad, got, Dad will get me the trophy if I don't win the trophy. You know, yeah. and 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 the American politics. It was like. I, I just think of Bernie and I'm just like, how does this poor guy just keep being like, yeah, okay, whatever job you'll give me. And, and people <laughs> like Dan, there's Dan Crenshaw, there's Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi, like, yeah. I just see all these people that I'm like, this is it. This is it. This is the person. Yeah, man, I, I get <laughs> a little disheartened too. Like, um, first off, your thought with Biden and Trump, fuck both these guys. I couldn't agree more. And by the way, the, the people that are so pro-Biden that disrespected the intelligence of everybody else to think for themselves and like, you, you have to vote Biden or else you're a racist. Like, this guy's a fucking racist too. Do you know <laughs> yeah, dude. Obama in 2007? Do you know the crime bill? Yes, he's not acting like a racist now. He's putting on virtue signals to do the opposite, having a female uh, running mate of color because he's trying to capture the we're against racist vote. The guy's a fucking racist, says my thinking. Yes. Uh, so it's like, fuck you for telling me to think of him in a way that he's not to me. Yeah. So I, I felt the same way with Kamala, too. You know, I. If you know about her as attorney general in California, uh, you know, her hiding state's evidence to keeping people on death yeah. row, her supporting crime bills that were taking small possessions and nonviolent criminals and putting them in jail for mandatory minimum sentences. I'm like, the optics of it is good. Like, yep, she is black and she is a female. So like we've marked off our identity politics markers, but as far as serving 
females in the black community, she has no fucking check marks. And when you share yeah. that, the response is, can't you just let us have this win? Yeah. I'm like, if the it was a real win, you know? The optics are good, yet a lot of us love the wisdom that says nothing is as it seems. Yes. So, man, yeah, I, also, I, I get disheartened when I look at the people that are in positions of leadership. When I look at, you know, the DNC, how they robbed Bernie two elections in a row where it's like, well, there's very obvious corruption there. And then I look at like the people that I would love to vote for, Tulsi, Dan, Dan Crenshaw, like they're, by the way, those are, uh, you know, the left and the right. I would support either because they seem to be good people. But you look at, will either party actually promote those guys? I mean, they took uh, Hillary Clinton, prevented Google from running Tulsi's ads. It's like there's not only not party support, there's party like take them down because they're controllable, which is probably why they're likable. So I get disheartened with that. But I also look at like, let's not give my fucking power away to the government and think having a great society and a free life is dependent on what the government does. Yes, I want the best people possible in positions of political leadership. But to me, it's also disempowering to think a beautiful world depends on that. Yeah, I think that's that's huge, man. One thing that I kept repeatedly saying over and over from my small platform was like, it doesn't matter. None of these people are coming to save you. They're not going to make your life better. You're going to make your life better. The choices you make, the people you you decide to 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 be around, um, what what you're bringing into your house, and it's like, and I understand that so much government policy does affect people's day to day lives, but it's like, again, they don't have a track record of being helpful or honest. So it's like I just I'm like you said, I'm not going to put too much of my power, too much weight of thought into, you know this system that is so blatantly and obviously not even real. Yeah. Um, it, it could, it, uh, I'm going to deliberately interrupt you, Drew. Yes, please. I'm a narcissist and what I'm <laughs> going to say is more important than what you were going to say. But, <laughs> but I, I, I just have to add this to it. What you were just talking about, you know, it, it, your song, I Am, that gave me the reminder so many times when I needed it the most, you know, the past roughly year of lockdowns where my, my eyes were telling me like this story of like my, my empowerment depends on the government and all the government's doing is taking more rights, like fucking lockdowns, freedom of speech, stay in your homes, you can't open your business. So I'm seeing a lack of freedoms. But then I hear your song come on and it just had, the, it spoke to my soul. All you ever were was free or all you ever are is free, which just gives me the reminder to claim the freedoms I have, which no matter how many of our freedoms appear to be taken away, that's like, that's like 1% of it. There's this other 99% that we are so empowered to claim that it doesn't depend on any external authority, just depends on our own internal authority, being willing to be aware and recognize and claim the beautiful sovereignty and freedoms that 
we have in any given moment. Yeah, that means a lot to me, man, because that's with that song and, and so much of my work that to me, that is the overwhelming message of of what I'm trying to share is yes, there's obstacles. Yes, there's darkness and fear and all of these things, but we have personal sovereignty and in that sovereignty is choice. So, so we can make the choice to go, yes, this is an absolute shit show, but I'm going to rise to the occasion anyway, because I'm, I'm going to make that conscious choice of yes, but I'm a sovereign human being and watch me go, you know? And I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, and that's it for me. That's uh, fuck politics. Uh, and, and to me, that's my religion is, is freedom and choice <laughs> and sovereignty, you know? Yeah. Hell yeah. And, and I think freedom is the most powerful word that describes our true nature, that describes us as spiritual beings, freedom. And maybe the darkness on the outside, corrupt politics, corrupt policies, maybe that darkness is actually a, a goddamn gift where the, the awareness and the exercising of our sovereignty, how that rises up, how our claiming of our freedom rises up. Guess what? Would it be rising up if we didn't have the opposition of the darkness to create the passion for the rising? Maybe not. Maybe the phoenix needs the flames in order to arise. And maybe Luke Skywalker needs Darth Vader. 100%. To me, in my life, that is, that is the only ultimate truth that I have found, is that struggle breeds growth. Yeah. Um, and that's it. And, and, and you, you can take the, the punches on the chin and go, well, I guess I lost. Or you can get the fuck back up and go, well, I live to fight another day. And, and for me, that's where I've got, that's, it's given me everything that I have, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it is that. Um, so there's one thing that I really wanted to, to touch on with you, your, your latest video, you're talking a lot about Instagram terms of service and um, this censorship. And uh, so first off, I, I'm, I'm kind of torn on the thing, right? So they take Trump's Twitter down and there's one side of me that goes, well, man, that's a fucking private company. I can't walk into McDonald's sure. naked and they have the right to go, no, you can't eat here. And I can say all I want. Like, well, I'm a sovereign human being. I want a Big Mac with my dick out. But, <laughs> but, but they're a private company, you know. Um, but the other side of it goes, as a, as a person, I believe that freedom of speech, um, unless the freedom of speech is a rile, having a riled crowd and saying, kill this sure. person. Sure. I believe that the only way we know what good ideas are is that bad ideas are present and that good ideas have to be forged. You know, they have to go through, I have this idea, uh, Jordan Peterson always throws out this idea of the thought economy and that although uh, unregulated capitalism doesn't always work with currency, when it comes to thoughts, it generally does. You know, like, um, and the example that I always give is Richard Spencer. Um, all of the press and media that he had early on, you know who Richard Spencer is, yeah? I, I don't. Okay, so he was, he was the, the poster child for the alt-right. He was the one that, okay. coined that coined the term. And what was happening was he was going to speak at universities, and these big, huge protests would break out where they were going to shut him down, right? We're fucking shutting the building down, and he's not going to get a talk. 
because um, hate speech isn't welcome here. And in Berkeley, it actually turned into a small riot and they broke out a bunch of windows and started some fires, real productive. And um, what <laughs> not happened- Not hateful at all. <laughs> not hateful at all. Com combat speech that's not hate speech that you call hate speech is to do hateful actions of violence. Yes, exactly. Yes. And um, so what was really great was eventually the, the, the literal and figurative fire kind of died down. And this guy was able to start speaking at universities. And uh, what happened was people realized he was a fucking idiot. And, uh, <laughs> and great. Yeah. And, and people quit going to his lectures. And now I'm sure he lives in his dad's basement, but he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't have a platform anymore. And, and why he doesn't have a platform isn't because Twitter deleted his profile. It was because everyone determined that his ideas were bad. Yeah. Um, so I guess my question is one, what is your take on social media censorship? Um, and two, where do you, th what do you think the end goal is of it? Yeah. You know, uh, I'll share my thoughts in a second, but first this, I found this very interesting on my YouTube channel, on the community section, um, I ran a poll and the poll was just a simple question. Do you agree with big tech's censorship? Now, I believe it's 140,000 people weighed in and voted on the poll. And just two, two answers. One is yes, I agree with big tech censorship. The other is no. 4% of those 140,000 people said yes, I agree. 96% of the 140,000 people do not agree with big tech censorship. And, and I think that's important to note. Now, I agree with those 96% of people that big tech censorship is something that feels inherently bad to me. Now, I, uh, from one redheaded person's perspective, I, I fundamentally agree with your thought, like, cool, McDonald's should be able to say you can't walk in without your pants on. I agree, private business. Like, I run my business. Nobody should be able to step in and say, JP, your video should be about this. It's like, no, fuck you. It's my videos. I'm going to do what I want. The difference is I don't have a monopoly. The, these companies, like hats off to Mark Zuckerberg, Jack Dorsey, um, Google, like various monopolies here with the big five, but Amazon. Congratulations. You were so successful that you created a monopoly. Great fucking problem to have. Yeah. <laughs> problem is it's a monopoly. Now, you know, here in the month of January, this is when I've really discovered the wisdom of the antitrust laws. How there was so much foresight to say like monopolies are illegal. So why I believe um, big tech doesn't have the right to just silence everybody they want to silence and disrespect free speech is because they've created monopoly. This is where the currency of speech happens. And, and if they say, well, no, like we, uh, you shouldn't be able to uh, tell us what to do. It's like, all right, then we got to break up the monopolies. Like y you have to either honor the constitution or we got to break up the monopolies, which I think the monopolies need to be broken up with, period. 
because here's the real scary scenario. If you take the, you, the big five, like Apple, Amazon, Google, Facebook, Twitter, you take these five companies that are monopolies unto themselves, then they band together. What happens when you have five giant monopolies come together to form one enormous monopoly? You have the president silenced. You, by the way, mainstream media is supporting this monopolization as well. There, so it's even bigger. Uh, you have a free speech platform, Twitter, wiped off the internet. And, and I think that's very dangerous. Uh, so from my perspective, just to be blunt, where I see big tech going, if it's not checked, is communism. Yeah. Uh, they're the thought police. Silence all thoughts that aren't in line with the far left. And it, it, it's, it becomes, it, I mean, communism is here. It's just how much is it going to grow? And, and that's what it is. So I don't, the more power big tech has, let me say it this way, the more people give their power to big tech, the more something really ugly that 100% of the time in history ends horribly for the people. The more people give their power away to big tech, the, the worse off we are. Um, so, but also I, I think the big tech's worst enemy is big tech. You know, there's a reason why the value of Facebook and Twitter went down by $54 billion after they silenced Trump. And that's not because people are like, dude, we wanna hear what Trump has to say. Some do, but it's because people inherently know big tech is doing something horrible, so it's bad for their business. People leaving the platforms, alternative platforms like MeWe, which is a, a you know Facebook alternative, that actually serves people rather than robbing people of their data. Like now it has unprecedented user growth because Facebook is the best salesman for Facebook's competition now. And will they band together and wipe MeWe off the internet like they did with Parler? I that hope not. Fast. Yet they, they might. And also hopefully Parler can make it back. I know they're in a uphill battle and I, you know, it, so well, long story short, that's kind of my, uh, my delusional rant. Well, I guess, I guess the, the thing that you spoke to there that I hadn't thought of is, you know, I've understood the, the idea of, well, it's a private company. There's, you know, there's terms of service. And if you don't agree with them, then, then you can't use the platform. But what I got from what you just said is like in the modern generation, this is the platform. This is how we communicate. This is how we talk to one another. It's how we share ideas. And when you start, you know, I don't, I don't know enough about uh, the candidates uh, in the, in, in Georgia to, to say one way or the other, but I did read that um, Facebook fundraising had been shut down for a couple of the candidates down there. And it's like, well, that, yeah fucks up a free fair election because if one side is able to do something and the other side isn't well now you're fucking you're actually fucking with the constitution and and, yeah. and these constitutional processes that determine who is who is taking office and 
that to me is freaky. And, and again, just the idea of policing thought in general is weird to me. I just, I, I think what makes America, America again, is this idea is like, everyone throw your fucking ideas into the pot. If they're shitty, we'll get rid of them. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> you know, and yeah, it's hard. Cause there's this, um, you know, Rogan was joking one time that he's like, yeah, dude, I don't like Trump, but I cannot help but get on his Twitter sometimes and just be like, what did this fucking guy say today? You know, <laughs> best comedian on Twitter, no longer there. <laughs> yeah, they took him down. They canceled him. Um, so uh, a couple things before I let you go, man. How has I know you just had a baby. How has that been? And, and how has it changed your approach to, to life and your work? Yeah, it, it's the best thing that's ever happened to me, man. The, I mean, you have kids, so I'm preaching the choir. Yet the love for this little boy is, it's, it was unimaginable to my past self. And what a blessing to get to feel this love and have this beautiful being uh, in my life. So it's just the greatest blessing. And, and yeah, how, how it's affected my work. It's, uh, I would say it's made me more courageous to be true to my mission because I'm more motivated than ever to do my small part in making the world a better place for my son. You know, I imagine the the world that could be for my son when he's 30 years old. And uh, on one track, it's like, mm, the way it's going, I'm going to do everything in my power to divert the course so i uh, you know i work towards the world that uh, is a beautiful place for my son to live in it's just weird how damn motivating that is it's just kind of like yep uh, willing to die for the mission now truly hopefully i won't have to but it's like yep definitely willing to you know my son is that important it's such, such a powerful spiritual connection uh, and then, of course, my stand-up comedy, you know, new jokes, there's definitely father stuff, dad stuff in there, because I was like, yeah, i got to talk about what's true to me. And, you know, there's been some parenting videos, there will be more parenting videos to come. So there's certainly that influence in my work, because, you know, part of being a comedian is got to talk about what's true for me. Yeah, and I think to me, that's the stuff that's like the most hilarious is, you know, I think... I heard someone say, so we'll take it as science, that someone said people learn learn better if some if if it's funny. Yeah. Um, and, and I really believe that to be true. I think that's what's so special about your work is that it's like it's fucking hilarious, but you can also be like, wow, dude, we're getting some serious truth bombs just fucking hysterically dropped on us right now. Oh, right. Um, and and I yeah, so I, you found a really cool um comedic way of you know and and it's cool seeing all of these other people like andrew schultz um uses comedy to talk about what's going on but his approach is very just like you know <laughs> like here it is fucking machine gun of information to the face um and i like how yours is kind of subtle and nuanced and it leaves you being like was that sarcasm or was he being serious you know and and, and it, it invokes a little more thought than just like wow that was fucked um and um so yeah, man, I'm excited to to continue to watch your work. Um, and I really hope when I'm in Austin, we can get together, man. There's so many of you cool ass dudes down there. You know, my, what I'm, what I'm hoping is, um, do you know who Justin Wren? 
yeah fight for yeah. the forgotten yeah yeah so so he reached out um and we're trying to get like a crew of dudes together to hang out on the eighth um you know i know aubrey's down and it was i my goal is in my time in austin is to just get like a brain trust of of smart hilarious powerful dudes together and go for a hike or something but hell yeah um, brother well i'd be it'd be such a joy to hang with you i i via our other messages i think i get back in town on the 7th of march so i'll double check that so if possible it'd be a joy to do the hike or whatever the excuse is to hang yeah man well i really appreciate you taking time dude and i'm really glad we got to connect and um definitely want to stay in touch with you man i really appreciate you as a human and and i really appreciate your work and i think it's super important so yeah thank you drew and vice versa i appreciate the human that you are and i appreciate the work that pours through you it's just so inspiring well thanks man well god bless you and uh yeah go get with your baby and your wife and we'll uh hopefully connect next month sounds great brother right. take care bro all right I hope you all enjoyed that conversation. Um, I sure did. Uh, I look forward to being JP's friend and uh, learning more from each other. Um, yeah, I just, I like the dude. There's not much else to say. I think he's a really awesome dude. Um, and yeah. So with that being said, speaking of Austin, Texas, which is where JP resides, we added an early show to our, uh, to my solo Austin show, the first one sold out pretty quick, so we added an earlier show on Saturday, March 6th. I don't know. Go to Instagram. I forget what the date is, but that's okay. The point is that we're coming to Austin, Dallas, and Denver. So, get those tickets. I don't know who's going to be on the podcast next. I have a few different guests lined out. We'll see who gets back to me first. Uh, I'm strongly considering doing a solo one, but... Have a great weekend, take care of yourself, and I love y'all. Peace.